When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Andy Staples on three. It is a rankings reveal night. Jesse Simonson joins us on three national writer. And uh, Jesse, I, I, I saw Greg McElroy get fired up on the show and I love Greg and I appreciate his passion, but this is a made for TV event. All this stuff's going to work itself out, but we, we need to talk about, there are a couple of things. I, I did think Greg brought up a couple good points. And so I want to talk about that first. Uh, Ohio State, number one, Georgia, number two, Michigan, number three, Florida State, number four. Nobody's worried about that. Washington's number five. They're the lowest ranked undefeated team. After them is Oregon, which has a great win at Utah and no other good wins. Behind them, Texas and Alabama. And so one argument that was being made by the, the panel, which I get, is why is Oregon ranked ahead of Texas and Alabama? And the other one that Greg McElroy was bringing up is Texas could keep Alabama out of the playoff if Alabama wins out. So let's let's tackle those separately. Let's start with the Oregon being the highest ranked one loss team, first and well, foremost. Well, Greg's point, I thought he's clearly not a big fan of the pig farmer, Andy. He does not, he does not think overly uh highly of the utah utes and his argument was that that oregon win should not mean as much compared to obviously texas beating alabama and uh what alabama has done recently racking up wins old miss texas a&m that's not that's not a great one but old miss texas a&m and, and obviously lsu this past weekend it's not a bad argument. The idea, though, that both he and, and Herbie were kind of speaking in absolutes that Texas absolutely would block Alabama. I don't know about you, but is that can we say that with 100% certainty? If the tide of the team that literally ends Georgia's 30-some-odd game winning streak. Texas will be ranked one spot ahead of Alabama if, if Texas you do, is the one-loss Big Bowl champ. Yeah. You do think yeah, they beat they would him in Yeah. It wasn't like a fluky win either. No, it was not. It was not. I'm just, I'm just raising, I guess I'm just raising the conspiracy theory skepticism here that they would keep out the biggest brand who just knocked off the reigning two-time champs. Here's what they want from us. They want consternation. Right. They want everybody to freak out and run their message boards. That's, that's good for business. That's good for ratings. It's, it keeps everybody talking. We love that too. We want you talking about college football too. But we are going to let you talk in an intelligent way about college football. So here's the thing about the big scare of would Texas keep Alabama out of the playoff? Well, no. And here's why. Because you'd need a couple of undefeated teams to fall. And then you'd have room for both of them. Well, guess what? If Alabama is in line to make the playoff, it's because they beat Georgia. Right. So that's one undefeated team gone. Also, 
one of Ohio State and Michigan is guaranteed to lose. The other thing, the other thing that fan bases on these, you know, message boards, and God bless them, we love them, but the, you know, that they don't take into account is that we have not seen the college football playoff committee get it wrong yet. Now they they talk in word salads, right? All, all every time, you know, poor Boo Corrigan's up there. His favorite line tonight, favorite line last week too. It's a combination of both, you know, because. It, it doesn't really make sense uh, with some of their – it's about the resume and then what he says about Michigan and, like, well, they were up 17 nothing against Purdue. Oh, it's, good old game about, control. Yeah. Love game control. About, we're talking about Purdue. But, again, even amid, amidst all the, all the word salads that they, you know, kind of chew up uh, on, all, on all these ranking shows, thus far we've seen them get it right every time, and it's going to sort itself out. Um I do think there is an argument to be made that Greg was making tonight that, yeah, maybe you slot Oregon behind Texas and Alabama, uh, uh, you know, among these one loss teams, but the ducks control their own destiny too. You know, they're going to get to play. uh, If they continue to win, they'll, they'll play Washington probably uh, for a rematch. And if you beat the Huskies, you're getting in. Well, and that's what, when I do these projections, I have Oregon ranked ahead of Washington. And then I do the resume ranking. I have Washington ranked ahead of Oregon because Washington beat them. But the projections are what I think is going to happen. And if Oregon plays Washington again, Oregon's going to be favored in that game. I'm just telling you that right now. Oh, like, I agree. We I know, know I that. Agree. So now ESPN FBI might not favor them because I have no idea how they come up with those numbers. Did you see that? Doesn't F- how the is ha- FBI how the that- one that has Penn State ahead of Michigan or beating Michigan this week? One yes, of those they, does. Yes, yes, and and it also has. Ohio State with a 77% chance to make the playoff when they're going to be an underdog in Ann Arbor in three weeks. Well, I'll tell you what, they're the only one that can be a one-loss non-conference champ that can make it, I think. I don't I don't know that Georgia can either. But no, maybe. I think you're right. I but I think if but I think Georgia would get in if they lost on Saturday. One in the S, but beat Alabama in the SEC championship game. Yeah. It's it's interesting. So that that Penn State over Michigan FPI thing. I'm looking at another advanced stats projection. Our our friend Parker Fleming that he they have those advanced stats. He puts out the advanced stats previews. Interesting. He they're not. It's not projecting Penn State to beat Michigan, but the projected score in that game twenty one point seven six for Michigan and eighteen point six two for Penn State. So. That's a one bounce of the ball changes everything kind of situation. Maybe we are looking at, because I mean, we did the pick show last night and me and Max Olsen are like, it doesn't matter if Harbaugh coaches, Michigan's going to kill him. And maybe, maybe we're missing something there. Yeah. I mean, I think the only, th- the, the, the one thing that maybe is a concern for Michigan right now is they really haven't been all that explosive running the ball for as good as that offensive line is at protecting JJ McCarthy and McCarthy's been, phenomenal this season number two nationally and you know passer rating and and uh yards per attempt but Blake Corum is is not ripping off these long runs Donovan Edwards is, has been a shell of himself compared to what he was a year ago so I guess if Penn State can make the Nittany Lions one dimension or can make the Wolverines one dimensional that's a path to victory the problem I think you and I both agree on Penn State is one dimensional and right. thus far like you know we've seen it in spurts with, with some explosiveness. We talked about it on Saturday night. Cephas finally, you know, has a big game. 
may, it drew, they're going to have to win. If they win, it's going to be on the arm of, of Drew Aller, and he's going to need the, you know, kind of a, a, a coming out party to, to kind of beat this, to beat this Michigan defense. Yeah, we'll talk to, to Sean Fitz of Blue White Illustrated about the Nittany Lions later in the show because they are coming off a pretty explosive offensive performance against Maryland that looked a little bit different than what we've seen so far this season. So maybe. But again, all of this TV shows, and you're right, poor Boo Corgan has to come up and say all this stuff. It doesn't matter. They only need to do this once, and that's after the championship games. But they do the TV show. We like the TV show. It gives us something to talk about. And so that's what you get with that. Now, I was wrong, Andy, by the way. I, I released the projections uh, mm -hmm. yesterday. I thought because of the whole, you know, it's a TV event. Are you, you know, this was only the third time, I think, in the history of the rankings that, you know, from week one to week two, none of the top five teams lost. So that so they you know were they going to shuffle the deck? I kind of thought, thought they flipped they might. Georgia and Ohio State. I, yeah, just because Ohio State's resume took a little bit of a a dent with Notre Dame losing again, so that win doesn't look as good. Wisconsin, you know, just completely embarrasses itself in Indiana, you know, so that win doesn't look as good. Coupled with the, the struggles at Rutgers, but I guess kudos to the committee. You know, they 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 held uh, their feet firm and and said. We need to see more. And so I bet I bet I bet Georgia will go one if they beat Ole Miss on Saturday. Well, and that's the interesting thing. So I said when I did my resume ranking that this will be identical to the committee's ranking. I was I was wrong. I, I have Louisville too high. I have Louisville at nine and they have Ole Miss at ten. I or I have Ole Miss at ten and I, I Penn State would be number eleven if I went down to eleven. So I had Louisville too high, but I suspect Louisville will wind up at number nine if the Vegas lines are correct this week right because Ole Miss would lose at Georgia Penn State would lose to Michigan and they would both drop and Louisville would pop up because I don't think like Oregon State's 12 I don't think they would be popping up now interestingly enough as we train our brains for next year the real cut line for next year would be between Penn State or excuse me between Louisville and Oregon State that's where that's where you you run out of at larges and then that highest ranked group of five champ pops up. So yeah, and this one, I you know this one they had Tulane as the only one ranked. I was actually kind of surprised that they didn't have they didn't rank Fresno State. Well, you know, and, and they off. can't rank James Madison because James right. Madison's not eligible. By the way, you they're know, fighting that. Listen, when James Madison writes something, it's worth reading. <laughs> the U.S. Constitution, a Never letter to Jerry Moorhead. The, the NCAA board of directors chair, who's the, also the Georgia president, uh, they they wrote a strongly worded letter today saying, "Hey, we would like some in, uh, some relief. We would like a waiver that lets us be in a bowl game this year." And the thing is, I think James Madison may get into a bowl game anyway because they may not have enough bowl eligible teams, and they'll probably let James Madison and Jacksonville State play in bowls because of that. But James Madison because they're undefeated in the Sun Belt, which is a good deep league, should be considered for that highest-ranked group of five spot. And did, did I see correctly that if the NCAA does grant them that waiver that the Sun Belt folks said that they would come in and they would then, uh, they would then make James Madison eligible for their conference championship you, You've got game? to. You've got to. Because you, as the Sun Belt, you want, that, you want them to be your representative. Remember, the Sun Belt's never had one of those. All the other – well, the Conference USA hasn't had one either. 
But the other leagues have all had somebody in the New Year's Six or the, the BCS at large. Remember, Northern Illinois has gotten to the Orange Bowl. You know, uh, Western Michigan got to, to the Cotton Bowl a few years ago out of the MAC. Uh, Boise State has done it. Uh, you, you've got all the teams from the American have done it. So it is very important to the Sun Belt. So, yes, you would let them play for the title. And they deserve it. They haven't lost. Now, they, they still got to play Appalachian State and Coastal Carolina. But, I mean, they, they just whipped Georgia State. And that's one of the better teams in the league. They went to Troy and won. That's one of the better teams in the league. The folks holding Troy tickets, conference championship tickets, uh, are praying that 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 that, that, that waiver is not granted. Yes. They're like, they're like, no, no, just screaming no. Yep. Uh, Nick in the chat pointing out that Ohio State has beaten seven teams with winning records so far. And that is Ohio State's resume is why Ohio State's number one. We, you know, we we peg it to the Penn State win and the Notre Dame win. But the fact of the matter is that they've played a relatively strong schedule compared to most of these other teams. And sometimes we forget like to look at the middle of somebody's schedule. We only look at who are the awesome teams you played. Well, and also I, you know, and boot boot Oregon kind of touched on this a little bit tonight, but I do think sometimes we have a hard time. Uh, we as both the media, but also we as just college football fans of, how do you view a, a win? Is it a rank? Does, does Georgia's right. win against Kentucky count because Kentucky had a number next to their name that weekend? Or what does it look like today? I, I look at like, it. I look at it. Where did you wind up at the end of the season? What were, right. how good were you? But, but there are other, there are factors you have to consider. For example, did you have a star player who got hurt at some point during the season? Did you beat that team with the star player or without that matters? You know, that that's a, those things also count. It's all, it's all nuanced. Like you, you got to look at quote, everything. To quote Boo Corrigan, it's a combination of both, Andy. It is. It is a combination <laughs> of both. But, well, but well, back to the Oregon thing. So here's why I think Oregon's the highest ranked one loss team. Because the committee teams. feels like everybody else that Oregon probably should have beaten Washington when they played and probably will beat them when they play the next time. But they have to keep Washington ahead because Washington won the game. And I'm okay with that. The games have to matter. So I'm good with that. Now, does Oregon have a better resume than Texas? I don't think they do. So you could you could put Texas and Alabama ahead of Oregon and then just pop them back up once they beat Washington. If they yeah, beat Washington. I, right. Yeah. And I it would not surprise I don't think either one of us if you know there's a little bit of the, the shuffling going on the next couple of weeks, whether these teams, you know, win or lose, uh, just because this is a TV product and they do want um, folks tuning in to kind of see if there is a change, but the rankings that matter is the last one. And, and right now this is just about fun and fodder. Absolutely. Speaking of fun, the another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Check planning for what's next and how to save for it. That's where bank of America can help for your financial to do's bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Chicken story keeps getting more and more fun. Couple things. Couple things on, on Tuesday. So on Monday, you had the Associated Press with the story that someone 
at a Big Ten school, which we've since found out is Purdue, uh, collected Michigan signals prior to the Big Twelve, the Big Ten championship game last year, and that they got it from other Big Ten schools. And we find out on Tuesday from Sports Illustrated there, there there's lists of the signals. There's you know there's a whole spreadsheet, and we find out it was Ohio State and Rutgers allegedly that helped get these. Now, there's no there's nothing about going to other sites. Based on what what we've read, it looks like they gathered this during the games they played and and through the coaches film which they're allowed to do. But somebody's trying to muddy the waters here and you know, if you're a Michigan fan, you're going, "Well, why is that okay and what Connor Stallions did isn't okay?" Well, the only reason is they passed a rule in 1994 for cost-cutting reasons. But they did. So there it is. The other piece of information, uh, I believe it was uh, it was Lane Higgins. Straight in the out Wall of the Street Journal. What an incredible story by Lane Higgins in the Wall Street Journal. Deep dive on to, into Connor Stallions, who we learn bought a house in Ann Arbor in 2022. Shortly after, lots of old vacuum cleaners began showing up on the porch. Apparently, Connor Stallions was running a vacuum cleaner refurbishing business out of his house. And according to the Amazon reviews, he was a terrible vacuum cleaner refurbisher. Many unhappy customers. This, this story continues to just get I, I inexplicable. Doesn't it? Doesn't even do it justice, uh, Andy. I mean, the fact that this guy is supposedly a sign stealing mastermind. Who I, I don't have the exact uh, bio in front of me, but his LinkedIn bio oh, is just like an incredible you know, incredible, like genius football. I mean, like, and yet he's running this system on the side where he's not actually fixing vacuums and getting hammered on Amazon. And he got busted paying for his own, you know, we have Venmo receipts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, he is the, like, the smartest, he, dumbest he villain by the HOA for the vacuum cleaners. I and mean, he, in, in court, he said, "Did this come from Jeff, the Michigan State fan down the street?" <laughs> it was incredible. Also, Blake Corum's tied into this now. Yes, I mean, Blake Corum's name shows up on an LLC with Connor Stallions, and Blake Corum was asked about it on Tuesday by the by the beat core there, and Blake Corum's like, "I have no idea. I am having my lawyer look into this," which is the right answer. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's so just, great in 2023 in college football too when a player like if you imagine you asking a, a player when you were a beat writer or when I was a beat writer about this five years ago and like they never would be like I'll talk to my lawyer yeah but thankfully in 2023 Blake Corum's like yeah I have I got a guy <laughs> I got a guy and uh yeah he's gonna handle this for me unbelievable and listen the more that comes out the more I'm actually willing to buy any sort of lone wolf defense for Michigan. Like, was he running the vacuum cleaner repair thing to pay for the tickets? Oh. But see, that's what's even crazier. If it like, is, it, is he really a lone wolf or is he this? How, I, I, I'm speechless. I, it literally, this story continues to just, it, it makes me speechless because I, I so much of it just seems like something that would be in the onion that would be made up. <laughs> 
Mick Terry. I think it was Tyler from Spartanburg that sued Connor for the age. If, I, I wish. Unfortunately, Tyler doesn't live in Washtenaw County because we know he lives in Spartanburg. But that would be tremendous. Just everything about this is hilarious, except for the fact that there's potential real-world consequences that could be coming down any day now. And I don't know what's going to happen, Jesse. We know that the Big Ten has said they could potentially punish Michigan. They've given Michigan till tomorrow to respond. So I don't know if we get a definitive word tomorrow. Do we get a definitive word on Thursday? But it is going to be like World War III if they try to take Harbaugh off the board here. I, yeah, and I got asked about this, and I have my mailbag comes out tomorrow, and one of the questions I got was basically like gaze into your crystal ball, and how is this whole situation, you know, scandal going to be resolved? And I pretty much said this, what you just said. I don't know how this is going to end. I mean, I can take, you know, we can swing and take wild guesses, but there's been so many moving parts, and I think you and I both agree the rumors continue to run rampant behind the scenes. And so you just don't know what to believe or what, you know, may actually come out and may come to fruition. And so take it, it really is just kind of like, you know, swinging blindly at a pinata because I, I don't, I don't know how this thing's going to play out. Michigan certainly seems like they're going to fight like hell uh, on Harbaugh's behalf. And the Big Ten, I mean, while, while Tony Petiti is being, you know, has these indignant coaches in his ear pushing to punish Michigan, he's not going to hammer one of the premier programs. Right. It's actually not about, good for business to punish Michigan right, for the Big Ten. Right. From a TV executive guy who's about to, who, you know, Michigan's about to play their two biggest games in the next four weeks. He, he's not going to, you know, do anything that that kind of, I think dangers that. So I don't know how this plays out. I'm, I'm, it's a hilarious story. It does have real world consequences. Um, TBD, TBD. That's exactly right. Jesse Simonson, thank you so much for joining us. It has been a pleasure. We'll talk to you uh, after the games on Saturday night. Absolutely. Can't wait. That's Jesse Simonson and, that story again, weirder and weirder every day. And, and Lord knows what's going to happen tomorrow. Unfortunately, you can't, uh, you can't play any of the, the Michigan uh, signal stealing accusation squares on prize picks, but you can play just about everything else. They've got college football, NFL, NBA, NHL. It is the largest independently owned daily fantasy platform. And it is the most fun daily fantasy platform you can turn $10 into $250 with a few taps. That's right. You can make up to 25 times your money. You pick as few as two squares. You pick as many as six. And you say, I think this person will have more than or less than this many yards, points, touchdowns, goals, baskets, you name it. And so how do you do that? You download the PrizePix app. Use that referral code Andy. And they'll match your first deposit up to 100 bucks. Last week, I had a $50 bet on, I had a $50 play on three squares, two involving quarterbacks, one involving receivers, combos of both. And it turned into $250. It, it was just like magic. And it's a lot of fun on Fridays. I go through the prize picks options. 
sometimes Saturday mornings right before the game start. Uh, I ask you guys for help on Twitter. You guys usually have good advice. Sometimes I ignore it. Sometimes I take it. But go to Prize Picks. Use that referral code Andy. They'll match your first deposit up to a hundred dollars. All right, now we got to talk about a very strange story out of NC State. A wild redshirt decision from MJ Morris, the quarterback. Now, remember, MJ Morris played five games last year as a freshman. He got banged up, but it looked like potentially he could be the starting quarterback coming to the year. Then they they recruit Brennan Armstrong as a transfer from Virginia, who gets reunited with Robert and I, his former offensive coordinator from Virginia, who spent last year at Syracuse, but is at NC State this year. So Armstrong ends up winning a starting job. MJ Morris is supposed to redshirt, but Morris ends up having to play because Armstrong hasn't been very good. So as the starter, MJ Morris goes three and one. He loses to Duke, but he beats Marshall, Clemson, and Miami. And so on Tuesday, it comes out, he's going to redshirt. He's played four games. He can't play another game without burning a year of eligibility. Now, his dad told WRAL today that nobody's leaving, that he's staying with the program, and he was at practice. But it, if you go back and look at the, the Derek King-Houston situation, kind of similar. So I don't know if this means he's staying. I don't know if this means he's transferring. Maybe he is staying. Maybe he just wants to have three years of eligibility at NC State. We brought on Ethan McDowell from the Wolfpacker to help make sense of a wild, Wild redshirt story. Joined now by Ethan McDowell, the Wolfpacker, who just reported that North Carolina State quarterback MJ Morris is redshirting the remainder of the season, potentially entering the transfer portal afterward. Ethan, MJ Morris replaced Brennan Armstrong, just beat Marshall, Clemson, and Miami, and now yes. he's done? Yeah, no, it's it's a wild situation that's developed recently. Um, he obviously took over after um, NC State struggled, took over after a 13 to 10 loss to Louisville earlier this year. And um, then the MJ Morse era began. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, he is he was viewed as he is viewed as the future of that program. He, he is NC State's future at quarterback. But um, now after playing four games, um, you know, source has indicated to the Wolfpacker.com that he will redshirt the rest of this year, which means um, Brennan will take back over in that um, starting role this season. I do want to emphasize that there is no, um, like I'm not reporting anything on whether he is or isn't going to enter the transfer portal. There is mm -hmm. no concrete info on that. He was at practice today though. I oh, interesting. Okay, well, see, I, I am just surmising here because this, like this doesn't make a lot of sense unless it's to set up a transfer, but he was originally supposed to redshirt this season, right? Because he played five games last year as a true freshman. And the plan was to redshirt him. And then when Brennan Armstrong didn't play well, he yes. comes in. Correct. The, the plan all along um, in their one FCS blowout of VMI earlier this year, walk on Ethan Rhodes came in the game instead of MJ for the last drive. And then Doran addressed it on his radio show. He was like, if, if we can redshirt MJ, that is the plan. Obviously, that stuff changed when NJ was clear, clearly became in their eyes the best option to win them football games. And shoot, I mean, he he did. He went three and one as as a starter, and um, he's coming off of two huge wins. So 
if he doesn't go in the transfer portal, he would still have three years of eligibility at NC State. Is is that something you expect them to to come out? I would think that would they would come out with that pretty quickly if that's the plan. Yes, I agree. Um, we talked to Dave Doran next on um, Thursday, and I'm sure he'll have some sort of statement on all of this. But yeah, I, I mean, I was told over the summer that he is considered their future. He is their quarterback of the future. Brennan, they just thought, gave them the better chance to win this year right now, and they gave him the starting job. But I, I, I agree. I think if um, if that's the plan, it'll come out pretty quickly. So it, the, the part that's kind of weird to me, Ethan, is – would MJ Morris have been offended by the fact that they brought in a tran a grad transfer kind of to play over him after he had a good, you know, five games that he played? He, he obviously there were some injuries too last year, but but he looked good and looked like the future at that point. Would that have caused any sort of friction? It's possible. It's not something you want to speculate on too much, but um, yeah, I mean, I mean he showed enough flashes to where, I mean, he definitely could have earned a starting job. I think coming out of that year, obviously he had the injury towards the end of that year and then recovered from it in the off season. But um, it kind of boils down to, you know, you bring in offensive coordinator, Robert and I in the off season, and then you have a chance to reunite him with Brandon Armstrong. They had so much success in 2021. It made so much sense. And um, everything indicated that they were, you know, close friends, Brandon and MJ over the past years. They are very close. So, um, you know, there was no public indications that MJ was, you know, bothered by the decision. And um, him and Brennan have become very close over the past, um, you know, 10 months or whatever it has been. So Brennan moves back into the starting role. They've got Wake Forest this week, the, the Virginia Tech, and then obviously close with, with North Carolina. Who's the backup if Brennan Armstrong gets hurt? Yeah, so now you're looking at a quarterback room where you have walk-on Ethan Rhodes, who played the past game or not the past game, but he played against VMI mm -hmm. in one drive. And then you have true freshman Lex Thomas, who is, um, he had a missed part of his senior season due to an injury, um, recovered from that, but now he's healthy. So it would be one of those two players. You'd have one of them under center, not a lot of experience. Um, and it's especially, you know, it makes you wonder because Brennan, he's, he's NC State's leading rusher. Even, even after he was benched, no one else led them in rushing. He was the most consistent guy on the ground for them. So now you have to look at it where, okay, Brennan running the ball is going to be a very important part of this offense moving forward. We have to weigh that against the possibility of if he gets hurt, like yeah, there, there's just not a ton of experience, a ton of options around him. Yeah, and, and so – those last two wins got NC State bowl eligible. They're six and three right now. This could be a pretty good season for them still. Yeah. How how big of a blow is this news? And how how shocked were you when you found out? You know, I was surprised. I, I think that you there were so many things. It finally started to feel like the the Robert and I offense was starting to click. Everything was starting to come in together. The ball was rolling. And MJ was a huge part of that. Um, he's, he was one of the leaders of this team, even when he was the backup. The team loves him. So it just felt like everything was starting to click into place, and they were starting to get the ball rolling. That elusive 10th win for NC State was still on the table with the bowl game. And um, now you kind of have to recalibrate. But you know, fortunately, you have a guy – you know, Brennan's played a lot of ACC football. He's very familiar with the next three opponents. Um, 
and shoot, now he gets a chance to go and beat Virginia Tech, which he hasn't done. He didn't get to do while he was at um, UVA. So um, they have one of the better backups in the country. It's just whatever's beyond that is the big question mark. And I think you feel comfortable with Armstrong, mm -hmm. but there's just those question marks that remain past him. Well, I guess we will wait to find out what the long-term plan for MJ Morris is. Ethan McDowell, thank you so much. Thank you, Andy. Definitely a very interesting story that bears watching because while MJ Morris, his family, saying they plan to stay at NC State, this is a weird situation. How does that work with the team? How does that work with the coaching staff? And I guarantee, even though they're not supposed to be, there's probably coaches from other schools who are saying, we thought you looked pretty good against those uh, those Clemson Tigers and Miami Hurricanes, and uh, we wouldn't mind you being our starting quarterback, and uh, we wouldn't recruit over you like, uh, like they did at NC State. Maybe. I mean, that's probably going to happen. I don't know if he's going to transfer, but that's that part of it's probably going to happen. We'll find out what happens next. Very interesting note on Tuesday night out of Missouri. Eli Drinkwitz, in his press conference, went down the injury report, and there was a name on there that I don't think everybody was expecting. Wide receiver Luther Burden is questionable for the game against Tennessee this weekend. Luther Burden is obviously Missouri's most dynamic player. Uh, Brady Cook's on there, too, the quarterback. He's listed as probable, but they've got Luther Burden as questionable, which I think would be a pretty big blow if he's not able to play against Tennessee, and that may change things a bit. Remember, that that's the game where the line flipped from Missouri being a, a favored by a point and a half on Sunday when it opened later Sunday, Tennessee was favored by a point and a half. So we'll see if that moves any more now that Luther Burden has been listed as questionable for that game. Another big game, probably the biggest game this weekend, in-state college, Pennsylvania, Michigan and Penn State. We're going to talk about the Nittany Lions. We'll take a deep dive in a minute. But first... I need to tell you about bird dogs. Got my fart knockers right here. Love these shorts. They're tremendous. But ah, the weather's getting colder. Can't wear shorts everywhere. Got to wear pants sometimes. Well, here you go. The Steven Jobs. The best fitting chinos I have ever owned. And yeah, that's a liner, which means no underwear for me when I wear these because it's already built in. I don't have to wash underwear. I don't have to buy underwear because bird dogs builds it into the pants. They do that for their shorts, for their chinos, for their joggers. Now, you can get them online, too, if you're not brave enough to live the commando lifestyle. But trust me, when you live a life of maximum efficiency with bird dogs, you will never, ever go back to normal pants. Use that promo code STAPLES, birddogs.com slash STAPLES, promo code STAPLES. You get a free hydroflask style bottle with your purchase. Birddogs.com slash STAPLES. Shorts, pants, joggers. They also got polos. So they got your torso covered too. Stock up at Bird Dogs. That code is Staples. All right. Let's talk about the Michigan-Penn State game, but not necessarily about all the Michigan stuff we've been talking about. We got to talk about the Nittany Lions too. Remember, this is a team that has only lost one game. They lost at Ohio State. If Penn State were to win this game, the three-way tie potential comes into play, unless Ohio State, of course, were to beat Michigan. But it makes things a lot more interesting. Now, the question, can they beat Michigan? I think 
The team we saw play in Columbus wasn't going to beat Michigan. The question is whether Penn State has evolved since then. We talked to Sean Fitz from Blue White Illustrated about just that. By Sean Fitz of Blue White Illustrated. And Sean, huge game in Happy Valley this weekend. But it feels like we're not talking about Penn State at all. All the attention's on Michigan. You cover Penn State. Where are the Nittany Lions at in all this? You know, I I think they're okay. Obviously, the last time we talked, they were going out to Ohio State. That did not go well for anyone except Ohio State. And, you know, Penn State kind of found themselves in this little purgatory that they've been in for uh, for college football for so many times or so many years, just falling short of that ultimate goal there. Um, turned around, had a close one against Indiana, which Indiana played a pretty good game, but that's beside the point. And then they went to Maryland. And, I, you know, you, you hesitate to say something clicked because it's just not really – how things actually work. But the last five quarters, there's been a general looseness. There's been a little bit more confidence. You could see the confidence coming off of Drawler. And I think that makes a big difference going into this weekend. And, I, you know, this is a game that I thought they'd get steamrolled in a couple of weeks ago. And now you're thinking to yourself, have I convinced myself enough that Penn State has what it needs on offense to to get the job done? Well, and, and teams do evolve over over time. And that's Watching that Penn State Maryland game, it did look like a different offense because it did seem a little more vertical. They were doing some like I, I go to the 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 when they had Prabula and Aller on the field at the same time, and they do kind of some weird trick playish stuff, and then Aller just shovels it for a touchdown, which looked ad libbed. I don't know if that was the play or not, but it just looked like he was more loose and I, I don't know more just kind of letting the offense come to him. We, we've talked so much about the interceptions and he's got one interception this year and it took until that Indiana game, a terrible interception, if we're being yeah. honest here uh, in the fourth quarter of the Indiana game. And, you know, it, it's it's so man, it's so cliche to think that that's what loosened him up. But like he was a different player on Saturday and he, and he was the player that you saw in his highlights at Medina High in, in high school, like just doing the stuff, like doing the arm angles, doing the improvisation, which wasn't there the first eight games of the season. And it just it just seems so everything seems so tight everything seemed like hey protect the football at all costs and on the backside of that is you're killing the offense here like you're, yeah. you're just you're just hurting yourself in general so any looseness any sense of like improvisation that he can do i think it is good and, and then when you add probula to the mix of running threat in the in the backfield that changes some things that in, in terms of how defenses have to play you well, and it also looked like like Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson, the, the tight ends, seem to be more safety valve than check down. This like it, I can throw deep, but I can get something with these guys, and and it's not. I don't know. It didn't look as as kind of stuck in the mud as the early season offense did. Well, those guys like to inhabit the middle of the field, which has been non-existent for Penn State over the first eight games. Like they they were, I don't want to say scared to throw it over the middle of the field, but they just didn't. Like there was no, we talked vertical passing game, we talked to the short screen stuff, but like there was nothing over the middle that would have softened up that, that seam. And that's, I think, what you started to see. He's got confidence. He threw two of the best balls he's thrown all year to Tyler Warren on one drive, including the touchdown that that was, you know, between three three defenders there. So if you're going to get that kid, if you're going to get that guy, that Drew Aller, like you, you've got a shot if you're Penn State. Yeah, and that's what makes this interesting. James Franklin got asked about the receivers. Dante Cephas had had a good day. He had two touchdown catches, including a nice fade in the back of the end zone. Uh, and and Franklin had a, had a response. He's he's clearly been paying attention. 
Yeah, obviously, you know, Dante having a huge game last weekend was big for us. You know, Keandre had a good game as well. The tight ends did some really good things. We just got to continue building on that. Uh, we have to we have to continue building on that not only this week but then also on Saturday. Uh, we need some other guys to step up as well. We need Keandre to take the next step. We need Dante to take the next step. We need tight ends to take the next step. Um, because we're going to have to make some plays, you know, in, in the passing game. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, we're going to have to be as balanced as we possibly can with the run and pass, uh, stay on schedule. But there's going to be times and opportunities where we're going to have to take our shots, um, which I know you guys will be happy about. <laughs> I think that one saving that one up. <laughs> oh man. He 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 loves that though. Like he 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 loves the little pointers there at the end. Just uh, you know that was obviously the thing that we talked about last time that I was on when we talked about chucking the ball downfield. And they've they've gotten a little bit looser with that, and defenses have given them a little bit more of that. But I mean, it's not fixed. Like it's not. This yeah. is this is this is still very much the offense that that has been around for most of the season. So Maryland, you know, is a nice cure all. But at the same time, it's 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 a different animal than Michigan. So it's not fixed. Those receivers need to be better. Dante Cephas did step up, as he mentioned. Keandre Lambert Smith has done some really nice things. Trey Wallace is out uh, right now. So you still have to find your threats in the passing game. But yeah, it's a it's it's a it still continues to be a work in progress. Well, and and you mentioned Aller being more willing to take risks after throwing that first interception, they're going to have to take risks in this game. There's just no other way because this defense is too good. Otherwise you you can't, you can't beat Michigan without taking risks and and you can't beat Ohio state without taking risks. And they saw that firsthand and, you know, did not do that thing when they went to Columbus. And so, you know, you, you would like to think that that's where, that's where the mindset is. Everybody's a little bit more settled, more comfortable. You know, it, the, the points are kind of irrelevant here because Penn state was averaging 41 going into Ohio state. And there were still clearly issues on the offensive side of the ball. Now, like if you loosen up a little bit, you get Mike Yersich to be comfortable with those calls. You get Drew Aller to be comfortable with those throws. You get those guys that are actually making the plays on the outside. You got something there. And, and, and I think that that's really, if you're a Penn State fan looking at this game, gives you some confidence. You see that line continues to shrink. I don't know, man. Michigan's a heck of a football team. Like there's, yeah. there's no getting around like how good Michigan, like put all that other stuff aside right now. Michigan's damn good football team so you've got so much that you like about that but how do you how do you go about uh attacking that how do you go about finding the soft spots in that defense which there aren't many i i don't know well let's talk about the, the more established side of the ball for penn state the the defense is going to be the best that michigan has played so far this season and maybe the best that michigan will play this season jj mccarthy's been great their run game has not been as dominant as last year but still pretty damn good what does Penn State need to do to slow them down? Well, I think for most Penn State fans, the the scars of last year when Michigan came out in the second half and just ran all over them with those two fantastic running backs are, are still there. So, like, you can say Michigan hasn't run the ball well, but that's not going to convince Penn State fans that Michigan can't run the ball. You know, it's going to be a good offensive line, good backs. Well, the, the general Michigan machine is going to be what Penn State fans are afraid of. McCarthy's the X factor here. I mean, that guy can move around. He can do some things. He, he can make th throws that Michigan quarterbacks in the past sometimes have not been able to make. And I think that that's what makes it so um, such an intriguing matchup here. Does Penn State get Chop Robinson back? He's missed mm -hmm. the last two weeks uh, after leaving that Ohio State game early. There's, I mean, he he is such a big part of what they do, not just in the pass rush, but also stopping the run. Those guys have played well in his absence. But, I mean, he's a, he's a 
top top level player in the Big Ten for a reason. They'd love to get him back, and if they can, that that would go a long way. But yeah, I mean the the secondary has been a little bit leakier in the last couple of weeks. Kalen King has you know has had guys catching balls right in front of him, which has not been his mo his mo excuse me during the uh, the career that he's had. So like this is going to be a situation where Penn State I think is going to attack, and they're gonna, they got to keep McCarthy in front of them. Yeah, that's uh, that would be the key. Uh, and also, there's the other stuff, the, all the stuff around Michigan. James Franklin got asked about that, about the signal stealing. Uh, he was not going there. Yeah, I, I, I know these questions are going to come this week. Um, I'm going to focus on the things that, that, that we can control. Um, we always have to have a, a plan, and I think I've already kind of covered this and talked about this in terms of, of what we do uh, and how we communicate to our players and how we communicate to our team during games. Uh, but, I, but I'm going to leave it at that because less is more. <laughs> yeah, definitely in this situation. I'm not going to tell you how we're going to alter our signals so that they don't know what we're doing. But uh, he did also have another answer, Sean, where he uh, he kept mentioning on film, what we see on film, on the coach's film. That seemed like a very coded message. I mean, that's that's what coaches like to do, right? They like to poke and prod and and get their shots in, and then you know, if you if you're you're called out on it, I didn't I didn't say anything. I was talking about film. I was talking about watching X player in Y situation, and yeah, I think that's where that's where college coaches just love to uh, just to peel it back, I guess. So Max Olson and I were talking about this on our pick show. If Jim Harbaugh were to be suspended for this game, would it move the line at all? Do you think? I don't think so. Like I, 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 I don't think so. Michigan has done it without a head coach before, so it's it's not a you know it's not an unprecedented situation for them to go through this. And um, but I, I just think that the the first off, I think the line is probably a little bit smaller than it maybe should be. Like there's too much of that outside interference taking its mm -hmm. uh, taking its toll on the line. You know, I think it's probably a four and a half to five and a half point game. I think I saw it down to three and a half at one point. So like. Yes, Penn State has played Michigan well um, at home. Like that's kind of been the this this series has been sort of home and home, and that's I think what goes into it. Um, but Michigan is still, you know, regardless of who's actually wearing the big headset on the in the game, I mean that that's still going to be a top to top to bottom really good team. So you, you talked about Penn State's purgatory, and it, it is a situation where it feels like they are just stuck below Ohio State and Michigan. How big for them would winning this game be in terms of just breaking out of that that mold? I mean, it'd be massive because you you don't you know Penn State. You look at the history under James Franklin, big games. Where do they go? They go to the other side. Like that that is like when we talk about him not wanting to be distracted by Michigan, he's got enough things to worry about because of his record against you know top teams, and that's you know sort of the job. He'll deal with it. He's making $9 million or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you you look at what Penn State has been able to do is just get to the doorstep and then just kind of stand outside. And that's been the the MO for this team for so long. I, it would be unbelievably huge, especially when you take a look at the, the potential tiebreaker on the other side, you know, with the, the teams that they play in the Big Ten, um, which is a really, really funny tiebreak. I mean, you look at that and you think Penn State has played you know, Iowa, North, Northwestern, Illinois, and you think, well, Penn State doesn't have a shot. And then you look at who the other teams have played and, and the record is worse. It's yeah. unbelievably funny. Um, but Oh, it's, I, it, Iowa would control the everyone. Big Ten title race 
and not in the way that we think because <laughs> I, I was maybe going to win the Big Ten West, but yeah, Iowa could put Penn State in the title game in a three-way tie scenario. Any, anything short of like opponent punting yards, you would not think you would you would you would find yourself saying that. But Iowa is uh, the linchpin here, and Penn State. I mean, that, that's a really good win. I mean, Iowa, yeah, thirty-one nothing. I mean, that was impressive at the time, considering what Penn State was up against on offense, and we saw that a couple of weeks later. Like that's a, that's a pretty good win, but still, yeah, man, that's a, that's an insane. I mean, it's it, if it's if there's a better call for abolishing divisions, I don't know what there is. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> it's been it's been funny to watch this, and you know. Like Penn State's in the West, it's a different story. Michigan's in the West. You know, it's it's so crazy to think about this little uh, magnification of these divisions. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I'm so glad they're going away. <laughs> it is, yeah. It, it's never worked out. The it, it's funny because they try, they like, tried it with Legends of the Leaders because they knew geographic divisions would cause this. Right. But Legends of the Leaders was just so dumb, and no one could remember who was in what division, and so they had to go to this. And you're right. But it, it will be more fun because all you have to do is look at the Pac-12 race and how crazy it is and, and the Big 12 race and how crazy it is and realize, ooh, this could be next year a whole lot of fun in the Big 10. Can't wait. Like it's going to be wide open and it's going to be, you know, teams that are going to have to clash styles and like maybe take a step back because of it, you know, especially yeah. look at those teams out west. I thought I thought Penn State Utah was going to be more of a game last year and Penn State was by far the phys more physical team and they were third or fourth most physical team in the big 10 last year so it'd be very interesting to see and then you've got the flip side where the, those guys are throwing it all over the place so it, it's going to be fun I, I mean i think it's it's good for college football viewership you look at the schedules that they put out last week and those are some pretty tough like, like you say that as a fan pretty tough matchups but at the same time pretty intriguing viewership uh, numbers yeah. are going to come from that so I'm, I'm really excited to see how this goes especially from a guy covering penn state since 2006 i mean you, you're sitting in the second or third chair all the time like and it's and it's and it's tough to uh you know they've been to uh indianapolis one time and it's uh it's, it's kind of tough to deal with that if you're penn state fans i would love to go back to a penn state fan who's who's watching lavar errington play and tap him on the shoulder and be like, so in 2024, you'll play UCLA at home and then at USC in consecutive weeks. And those are conference games. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, it, it's so different. It's so, I mean, it's so, it, it, it's where it's going. I mean, you've been talking about this for years now. Like this yeah. is all where it's going. It's not geographical. It's, it's uh, economical, I guess you would say instead. And it's, uh, I, I'm I'm open to it. It's just uh, you know I'm I'm not going to miss the trips to Iowa City and West Lafayette as much as I'll enjoy the trips to Seattle and Eugene. Yeah, as I, I, I the restaurant scene in Seattle slightly different than the one in Iowa City though. I am I am partial to hamburger number two. They'll put gravy on anything if you ask. So I mean, what more can you ask for really? And someone will probably be trying to get you to vote for them, and you'd be like, I don't live here. I'm not in the caucus. It's okay. That's the best, best way to handle that. Yep. <laughs> Sean, thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Andy. Sean Fitz from Blue White Illustrated talking Nittany Lions. We, we seem to be forgetting the other team that's going to be on the field in Happy Valley on Saturday. But yes, Penn State still has a chance to win this game, which would make things very, very interesting. But now we head out west. There's a lot going on in the Pac-12 every week. Just a bunch of bangers in the Pac-12. Who better to talk about it than former Pac-12 great, future Big Ten great, 
Jeff Schwartz. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. We are joined now by former Oregon great Jeff Schwartz, longtime NFL offensive lineman. How smart is this guy? He has a urinal in his house. Think about that for a second, guys. Think about it. Well, I'll give my wife the credit on this one. She put a urinal in the master bathroom, like water closet. I think that's what it's technically called, right? It's like a little, you know, the toilet and urinal are yeah. in the same little room. Um, and uh, yeah, it's the, it's the best thing I have in my house, uh, bar none. It's, uh, you know, it's one of those like, uh, you know, eco-friendly ones too. So like every week I pour like a gallon of water down at the flush and like, we're good, man. It's the best thing in the house. It's, it's It saves my wife, obviously the annoyance of the seat up or seat down type of conversation, but also just like in an IP in the middle of the night, every night. So when you stumble in the bathroom at 3 a.m., I don't have to turn the lights on. I can feel the urinal with my legs, like where it is, and just boom, done, go back to sleep. It's it's wonderful. It works so this well. Is the, this is the type of efficiency that, that only <laughs> offensive linemen can produce. Yes. And I'm here for it. <laughs> well, speaking of offensive line, we're going to talk about your alma mater because there – They've got a pretty good offensive line. They're getting USC this week. Uh, USC has made a change at defensive coordinator. I don't know how much difference that makes, but I imagine this is a game that that Oregon people have been excited about because when Lincoln Riley went to USC and Dan Lanning went to Oregon, the thought was, oh, USC is going to just take over now. Does not seem to be that way. No, it doesn't. And, you know, th- there's a rivalry between Oregon and USC because – you know, basically when USC was good and with Pete Carroll, you know, Oregon took the back seat. And then when we sort of overcame Pete Carroll the last year I was at Oregon and then subsequent, you know, subsequent years and Chip got to Oregon, Pete left. Like Oregon was the leader of the Pac-12 conference. Um, and now obviously with Riley back, it feels like USC has kind of closed the margin. Uh, and there's always a recruiting battle as well, right? We're going for the same kids, even though it doesn't seem like USC gets those kids anymore. And um you know, so there's always sort of this rivalry between the the two schools, even though we don't play very often. I think we only played 17 times since 1998. I think we're 11 and six in that in that time span. Obviously, USC was was very good with uh, with Pete Carroll, and so uh, there's always it's always been a test, right? We test us against USC. We want to be the blue blood, right? We want to be what USC is, and I think Oregon's getting very close to that. And obviously, this weekend, you know, the coordinator change. Anyone with half a brain could have told you what was happening with USC's defense this season. Um, they're actually worse than I thought they would be, which is remarkable. Uh, but this is a defense that's not built sort of with the core tenets of what you need to be successful in defense. A, you need size. You need big football players. They have little football players. Even Barry Alexander, who is really good. He's like 6'3", 300. I mean, that's like a small NFL D tackle. Like, that's a small player, right? If you're that small, you better be – Aaron Donald, right? Super explosive. Get off the ball. Like, that's not really what Bear is at this point. Mostly it's, that's the defense. You know, Mason Cobb was outstanding at Oklahoma State. Comes to USC, can't tackle a soul. Like, it's, it's, it, and part of it is, Andy, and you know, this is what I'm saying, you don't know. 
you have to be intentional with wanting to be good on defense, right? It starts with practice habits, starts with weight room habits. I'm not accusing USC of not lifting weights, but you have to be intentional with how you build your defense. And Lincoln Riley has not done that. Yeah, Alex, it's Alex Grinch's fault. I get it, but it's also the head guy. It's his job, right? His job is to make intentional that you want to be physical and violent. And what Oregon has done with Dan Lanning, which I love about Lanning, he's, he's fantastic. I know he didn't beat Washington this year. I get it, blah, blah, blah. It's the first time he's ever been head coach. I think he's like 19 and four, 20 and four in two years, which is remarkable, is he is intentional with wanting to build strong on defense and strong in the trenches. Like he's intentional about it. He goes after those big body players and showing on the field. And, and our defense in year two is, is really exceeded my expectation. I thought we'd be good, but not as good as we are. So it's going to be fun to play USC this weekend. The coordinator change didn't do anything. Like if you want the, 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 the issue I have with USC defense is they do too much like moving around, right? They just kind of, right. well, okay. You Stunt go simple against Oregon. Stunting. Yeah. But, but you know, if you play vanilla against Oregon, good luck. I mean, like, great. I mean, our offensive line will just maul you. So um, you mentioned the offensive line of Oregon, you know, elite Terry, 30 years old, offensive line coach. It's like his first big boy job. He was at Hawaii. He went to Minnesota Vikings to be assistant D line coach. And Mike Cavanaugh is there behind the scenes as well. Was a long time offensive line coach for 30 years, but dude, They've gotten better, man. Like, first-time starter left tackle. And really, Jackson Powers Johnson, the center, is the best player. His first year really starting. He's been adding a lineup, a transfer from Rhode Island at, at, uh, at, at, at right yep. tackle. And then what's interesting is we brought in three transfers, including Cornelius, and the, the two other guys were thought to be starters. And nope, the left guard's back from last year, the right guard's back from last year, and they've gotten better throughout the season. So I like Oregon in this game. It's nice. I'll tell you what, man. No shot at previous coaches. I, I like the coaches. We want a Rose Bowl with Mario. I like them. But, like, I am not concerned at all about, like, being up for a game, right? Like, I, I have no issue. I have no concern that we're going to just not show up against USC. You know what I mean? Like, it's going to be – I just have a lot of faith in the staff. And and so I'm excited for, for Saturday. So this is another – crazy week in the Pac-12. The, the way the the schedule works out, the way the, you know, go, going divisionless last year, yeah. it makes it more fun. That Utah-Washington game is fascinating to me because I'm not sure Washington can can keep Utah's offense down the way Oregon kept Utah's offense down. So it feels like it could be more of a more of a shootouty type game than than Oregon or Oregon Utah was. Yes, it, it certainly feels that way, but I just don't have faith in Utah's offense, right? I mean, they're in the 80s right now in points per drive, and that helped, obviously, score 55 last weekend against Arizona State. Um, but I, I just they're, – they're so just one-dimensional, right? Like, if you're Washington, you just say, okay, Bryson Barnes beat us, right? Like, who's their yep. quarterback? Like, we're not going to let you run the football. And and, and Sione Vaki, by the way, hasn't played very much the last couple of weeks. He's taken a beating having to play safety and running back. So, like, just – Okay, Bryson Barnes beat us. Like that, that to, that's the problem with Utah, right? Like USC wasn't good enough to, to to play defense against Utah. They let Bryson Barnes run all over the place. Utah, I mean, excuse me, Washington just rushed four, man. Like just don't don't let him beat you, right? I mean, yeah. that that's it's that simple. And so um I think that's the game plan. And look, Utah defensively, um, you know, they played okay against USC. And they played didn't play terrible against Oregon. And so Washington kind of presents the middle ground between the USC and Oregon, in my opinion, on, on what they can do. So uh, I'm curious. I just, you know, if Washington scores in the 30s, which is probably likely, Utah can't keep up. I don't think they can. Um, and, you know, I give Utah a ton of credit for where they're at right now with all the guys they're missing. They're not just missing quarterback. They're missing right. two quarterbacks. 
two tight ends, you know, six running backs are out. They're down their middle linebacker. They're down a safety. They're down a, a defensive line. Like it's they're down so many guys, but I don't think they have enough in this game to really, in the end, um, make Washington struggle because Washington, look, Michael Penix has played worse when pressured up the middle. Utah has edge rushers. Like that's not, that's not yeah. a, a matchup that favors them. Washington tackles are really good. So I'm curious if they try to slow the game down, run the football, but I will say that Washington's defense is low key, not very good. Um, they're 96 in the country on third down. Like they're just not good. They don't, they don't hit the quarterback, which is odd because Braylon Trice is an incredible pass rusher. I think he leads the country or near, near the top in pressures. They don't hit the quarterback enough. Um, so Utah maybe keeps it close, Andy, but I mean, you know, 34, 21, I, I just don't know if Utah can score enough. Well, and it's interesting to hear you say this because it makes it sound like you think that Washington's going to get through undefeated to the Pac-12 championship. They got Oregon State and then a Washington State team that's kind of fallen off. I do think they're going to be undefeated. Look, you sort of need some of these wins, in my opinion, when you go undefeated, right? The, the Arizona State win, you don't score an offensive touchdown, but you win anyways. The Stanford game where, you know, realistically, they they had a chance to lose that game. Stanford catches that ball in fourth down. Um, and they go to the Coliseum and put it 52 and, and win that game, even with, you know, uh, you know, a turnover here and there. Like, it just – you win those games. That's part of what you're what you do. The Oregon State game was interesting. I, I just – the Beavers, to me, they're 12th in country, I believe. I don't know what they'll be in the college football playoff ranking. I think they're around around 12th, right? Yeah. They feel like a tiny bit of a hollow top 12 team. Like, I don't know if they – would they beat any other top 10 team right now? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, everyone says, well, they're going to play in research and they're really good at home against Washington. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. They're good at home. But, like, what do they do really well? I, I, you know, they run the ball okay. I mean, Colorado's defense played them pretty well. Um, you know, they've, they've just, you know, they're, they're, I think they're, they're good, not great. I, I don't know if they're going to beat Washington. Uh, the one, the one counterpoint I, I heard, uh, or talked to Washington's play-by-play -play guy yesterday, I packed over radio. And he said, look, you know, Oregon physically took something out of Utah, I mean, out of Washington, right? We saw next mm -hmm. week at Arizona State. Yeah. Well, does Utah take something physically out of Washington when, and they have to go on the road and play a very physical organization? I mean, that's what the Beavers do best, right? They, they punch you in the mouth, right? They're going to try to physically beat you. And so, Maybe they're able to to do that against Washington, but I think if they win this weekend, they're virtually guaranteed to be in the Pac-12 championship game with tiebreakers. Right. Um, so, you know, they're they're in. I think. Um, and the question becomes then, you know, what happens in the Pac-12 championship game if Oregon wins and both teams have one loss? Um, you know, what happens in the playoff situation? But we'll get there hopefully in uh, three or four weeks. Exactly. Now let's talk about Arizona and Colorado because Arizona is maybe the hottest team in the country right now. It's yeah. either Arizona or Oklahoma State. Colorado, wild demotion of Sean Lewis. Pat Shermer becomes the play caller. What, what did you think when you when you heard that news on Friday? Well, it the thing that's interesting about Colorado is um, I think we'll look back on this season and that TCU win will be the one game we think like, oh man, we kind of messed up the narrative because of that one win by Colorado. It's a great win by Colorado. It really was. Um, but TCU is not very good. And, you know, since that point, Colorado has sort of played like a team with a brand new roster. They beat Nebraska when Nebraska just put the ball on the ground four times, right? Colorado yeah. State's not a very good double overtime win. They got blown out by a top 10 team. They got blown in the first half by a top 10 team. They had a good comeback in that game. They lost to Stanford. Like, they beat Arizona State by three. Like, they sort of played like a team. 
that has a brand new roster. But the but the narrative got so hyped up after the early start that we sort of forget where they really are. To me, it looks like a team that has a brand new roster that really is not that talented, right? Look, the game one, and they played so well. They had no procedural penalties. Like they coached great, and like now they're having procedural penalties and clock management issues. Like everything, you would it's almost bet reverse, right? Like they they have like this end of the season, not the start of the season. And so our perception of Colorado, I, I think, is really off. I mean, their win total was three and a half. They're going to win four games. Like, th- that's sort of where Vegas thought they'd be, and that's where they're going to be. Um, you know, the, the promotion of Sean Lewis, what are they supposed to do with a bad offensive line? Like, I don't – Pat Shermer's not the help for that. Um, right. I know Dion said he wants new offensive linemen. Well, guess what? Four of the five starters right now are guys you brought in, right? You brought them in. So you're going to get new guys next season, like a brand new – who's going to come play offensive line in Colorado? When you have Washington as option, Oregon State, UCLA, Oregon, even Arizona has a good offensive line right now. Like, why, why, why choose Colorado? So, um, you know, a lot of finger pointing um, going out, not a lot of finger pointing coming in. I feel like on what's happening <laughs> in Colorado right now. Um, but you know, they, Travis Hunter's incredibly good. Shadur Sanders is good. I mean, they got some good pieces. But this game's interesting, Andy, because Arizona just beat two ranked teams at home, right? Oregon right. State, UCLA. Next weekend, they host a ranked Utah team. This is like the little sweet spot right here where you take Colorado plus the points. Like, I don't love it. Colorado's covered two straight weeks with touchdowns in the final three minutes when they shouldn't have covered in either of those games. Like, this is a a supreme letdown spot, right? National TV, two home games for Arizona in a row against ranked teams. On the road, early kickoff, Pac-12 network. Colorado's not very good. I think Arizona wins this game, and I think I'm against the Sharps here. I think there's a lot of Sharp people taking Arizona in this game, but I think Colorado covers this game. This is a classic letdown spot before you host Utah, uh, and then you host your, you know, the, the the Sun Devils who have no quarterback at the moment. So um, it's a very sleepy spot for Arizona in this game. So I, I want to talk about Arizona because Jed Fish took over a roster that was as bad or worse than what Dion took over yes. at Colorado and has turned it around very quickly. How did he do that? Well, you know, it starts with small steps, right? So the first step was, you know, I think that year one was building an established culture, right? And you could see on film, and I really feel this way with a couple of teams out West, Arizona State's one of them, and Stanford as well. Like, there's there was in Arizona in year one, when you watch them play, you could see the structure of what they wanted to do was sound. They were guys open, defense was, but like, they didn't have the dudes to do it, right? They didn't have the players to, to execute the plays. And then these, last year they upgraded primarily in offense, right? We, we added quarterbacks. We added skill position players. We upgraded offensively. This offseason was spent upgrading the defense. We're going to upgrade the defense now. This is essentially the plan USC tried to do, right? With offense year one, defense year two. But Arizona did it. They did exactly the plan of – and this is the thing when you give a coach time, right? He has a plan. He's executed said plan. And they're really doing this with the backup quarterback too, right? No Fafita – is not as talented as Jaden Delore. He doesn't turn the ball over, which is a huge plus, and he's best friends with the best wide receiver on the team. So that sort of helps out, right? Plus, again, they have two good tackles, and, like, they're able to just – and, you again, year one you saw, like, things were sort of where they're supposed to be offensively. They didn't have the dudes to do it. Now they have the guys to do it, and they're playing good football. And Jed Fish deserves a ton of credit for, for having a plan, following through. Arizona, by the way, I mean, you know, this low-key – Good NIL program obviously mm-hmm. helps get some high school players, uh, which is which is important to get. I, I just I'm becoming hardened in this take, Andy, because I've watched so much of USC in Colorado. You got to recruit high school players, man. You, like you, yeah. you, you have to. Like you, you can you can have a couple pieces here and there 
uh, you know, transfer portal players, if they fit exactly what you want to do. Oregon's a good example, right? Like they, especially defensively, they have a, basically a brand new secondary, but their guy's exactly what Dan Lanning wants to do. You can't just like bulk bring in transfers for depth. Like that doesn't, that's not a thing that happens on good football teams. You you target specific things you need, and the rest of your team is high school players that you have bred in your program, that have grown up, that have that like that core base of your program in them. And they backfill the roster in. And um, Arizona did that. Like, they, they did that from scratch. Uh, they couple, again, they had a couple of players there that helped. Um, but I, Jed Fish has done a fantastic job. Um, I, do, I, I hope no one comes calling. I don't know if it's going to be this offseason. Someone will at some point. Um, but he's done a great job at Arizona. Well, and, and it's interesting you talk about with the transfer portal. I feel like you can't build an offensive line any other way than through high school recruiting because – like take the personality traits of offensive linemen <laughs> in general. They are loyal. They yeah. do not like change. They, you know, these are not people who, yeah. if things are going well, are going to pick up and go somewhere else. Yeah. Unless it's like in a Johnny Cornelius situation where he's playing in the FCS, yeah. but clearly he can raise his draft stock. There's not many of those. No. So uh, the, the transfer port offensive linemen are in three buckets, right? Essentially. You mentioned Cornelius, right? They're an FCS or maybe a group of five school. You know, you, you, you're you under recruited. You grow a bunch in the first couple of years and you go to power five. Those guys are pretty good typically, right? Yeah. And you sort of have like the, the power five, the power five transfer. If you're not starting somewhere else, you're probably just okay, right? And then you go to another school and you're just okay there, right? Like you're just okay for the most part. Then you have the grad transfer, right? Like four years in, you're at a school that doesn't win. You just want to go somewhere and win. Oh, that happens, right? Like that, that Tyler seen last year yes. who had his but first most, NFL start this right. weekend. Yep. But most of those guys, if they're good enough, are in the NFL, right? For the most part. Yep. Not, not everyone, but for the most part in the NFL. Now, if you have an established O-line culture like Michigan, like Oklahoma, those guys, I think Oklahoma has two transfer portal starters, right? Left guard, left tackle. Mm -hmm. Michigan has like four sprinkled in, right? Yeah. Like if you have an established offensive line culture, it does feel like you can sort of pick and choose some portal players. Um and be fine but otherwise yeah you have to grow from within you have to build them in your strength program and and just get them in your system and grow them slowly through the process of getting better as an offensive lineman if you try to build um through the portal only i think it's really tough to do because for the reason i just gave like you just don't have a lot of those guys and you know for every cornelius there are six other guys that aren't good it is and if you look out west and i focus obviously out west but you know the best offensive lines, Washington, Oregon State, Oregon. I think Cornelius is the only transfer who starts, like it, at least the only transfer who recently transferred. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a big thing. And again, I mentioned Oklahoma and Michigan. Like they're the only two. Miami, I think, has the centers a transfer. I know for sure. Right. Maybe one. Of the, they they've but, got one other one. Yeah. But but, but it's but yeah. They and, established and, their, but they have established offensive line coach who's like has that culture. Like you know, like so it's just hard for other places to do, to, to do that. Yeah, and it's it's amazing. And I go back to Oregon and Josh Connerly. That's Dan Lanning's first big recruiting win. Yeah. And who'd they beat for him? USC. Yeah. I mean, look, I the funniest thing, dude, is this USC fans. We don't pay for high school players. We only pay for portal guys. I'm like, okay, so if a five-star quarterback goes to USC, it's for the love of the game. But if yeah. he goes to Oregon, it's because he's getting paid. Is that what is that what I'm believing here? Like, <laughs> like you just don't you just don't prioritize that. In, in, and you know, the idea that you could have a five-star offensive tackle at modern day and a five-star defensive lineman at modern day, both leave 
you leave your footprint, one to Oregon, one to Texas. And I get modern day players have not always been the best uh, at times. Like that's, that's not uh, USC. That's never been their problem, right? They've always gone to modern day kids or anyone close. I mean, uh, you know, DJ U's brother, Mateo going from yep. Moscow up to Oregon. He's playing well this year. Like you, USC used to get those guys all the time. Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, they used to be those should be those guys went to USC and, and they got one Corey Foreman who wasn't any good or has not played up to right. up to potential. Um, and that's USC's problem. They need to go get those big guys and they just don't. Well, maybe, maybe they will now with Alex Grinch gone because I, I, I was like I've said this for several years now and I going back to Oregon. It feels like Hercules Mata'afa broke his brain. <laughs> like having so for those who don't remember Hercules Mata'afa, he was a 225 pound defensive tackle. The yes. tackle. He didn't even yeah. play on the edge because no. he wasn't as good on the edge. But he played for Alex Grinch at Washington State, and he was awesome. And I feel like he goes to Ohio State, Oklahoma, USC, and still thinks that works. Yes. I mean, yeah, so in Washington State, you're undersized. So when you're undersized, you have to move a lot, right? Like that's yeah. part of the deal when you're undersized. is like you can't play straight up, right? At least Hercules was the one guy that sort of could at his weight. He was so quick. But if you play straight up, you just get bullied, right? And so the yeah. idea is you, you move everywhere. Well, at USC, again, to my point, like you should be able to get the 300, 315-pound defensive lineman where you just play straight up. Obviously – that that makes more sense in the whole scheme of things. If you could just play with your four defensive linemen, bench pressing offensive linemen, and getting off the block, which is what Oregon does uh, in base downs, like that makes you a better football team. You have more guys that can play in, in the secondary. Linebackers are cleaner, um, and USC doesn't do that. The question I have about their defensive coordinator hire is, who's going to want to go there, right? Like who's going to want? Who's again? To back back to the beginning conversation, you have to be intentional with wanting to be good on defense. And I don't know if Lincoln Riley is intentional. Who's your name? I got a name. Zach Arnett. I realize he's the head coach at, Miss, at Mississippi State right now. And you're thinking, well, well why? Well, because he's probably going to get fired. He's got, he's got a $4.5 million buyout with he's an offset. Guy. He's a leech guy. No. Uh, or he's not. No, he's a Rocky Long guy. So he's not a leech guy. He, he, he worked with leech, obviously. But right. so that there's a connection there. But yeah, he's a Rocky Long guy. Knows Southern California. Runs a three-three-five, which is a little bit different. Gives you a little bit more to think about during the week of practice. I'm just saying. Yeah, that makes sense. I, again, because I think the the leech thing is important. Like knowing sort of the offense you're getting yourself into, having to play against, you know, like in practice, and and knowing that you're not going to spend as much time hitting as you might. Even though Mike Leach was sort of old school in that, I think he did like to hit a little bit. Um, yeah. that, that, that's an interesting name. The three-three-five is is not run a lot tcu does it for sure right and they've obviously not played this play but it's not it's not a acc big 10 pac 12 no one's really not a 335 yeah, big 12 it's, it's a big 12 thing more than anything else right it's, it's kind of like yeah and, and it, it actually started at mississippi state jolie dunn years and years ago but it is it's one of those that it causes you to have to figure out all your fits it's, oh, yeah. it's like it's like playing it's like a defense having to prepare for the triple option it's just a completely oh, different world. Agreed. And I, as an offensive lineman, I hated playing those those teams that sort of ran a high version of that because um, the fits are hard to get to. You just, I think the problem is you just become a little small, right? That, that's yeah. sort of the issue in that situation. Um, but I'm, look, I, anything would be better uh, at <laughs> USC. Like it, just anything. Again, it's not, the players are, I think, are okay if you just play straight up. But again, you're too small to play straight up. So you have that, that issue, right? Or like this weekend against Oregon, okay, like, Please, they're 
Bear Alexander, again, 300 pounds. Good. The other defensive tackles are 275. I'm not sure if you watch Oregon's offensive line, anybody, but if you're 275 playing three technique, you are being ejected off the ball away from the run. Like, yeah. and, and like, so they just got to get bigger first and foremost, get bigger football players to play that. Three, three, five would be anything would be great. Just get bigger players to, to play in your defense. Well, and it's funny. I, I know the, the audience is struggling with the idea of a 300 pound person being small, but coming from you, who played at <laughs> well, what, 340? I played 340. <laughs> well, I mean, like, again, like this is, I, this is something very specific. So obviously I watch a lot of offensive defensive line play. Like when you watch from like the behind angle of USC's defense, and there's something very, this is a very draft thing. So like, but you can see like the leg size, right? Like the leg and ass size of like, <laughs> The USC defensive lineman versus like Oregon. I watched like like Brandon Dorless is the same weight I think as Bear Alexander, like three hundred pounds. But like when you watch Dorless, he's freaking huge. Like he's big. He's like big legs, big arms, big shoulders. When you watch like you know Popo and also not and, inside, and, like Dorless right, is on the edge. Yes, and, and Taki Tamani, like they're, they're like they're, and Casey Roger, like all these guys. Even the the young kids are three hundred thirty. Like they're freaking huge. You know, Jordan Birch is a defensive end who's 275, 280, 285. Like. These guys are like big-bodied humans. USC is not that. Eric Gentry is he's a weird prospect for the NFL. He's like 215. Like, he's good. He's a good football player. But when you're playing a team that wants to run the football, you can't be 215 and being a box linebacker. How does that work? You're going to get ejected all the time unless you're so quick when he's a weird size to be like that quick you know, in the run game. Like you, you have to be – And so that's my point about like size. To me, it's not even just about like – your overall weight it's like the size of your the body if you look at the mass of your body and you know look at utah watch utah play this weekend watch washington play like they got big big old poly dudes with big asses like in the middle of their defense like it, i know that's like you know what i'm talking about though i'm, oh, yeah, I'm right absolutely like, like you got just big old bodies in there and usc when you watch them on film they got little bodies and that's a huge problem for them right now and this has been talking about ass with Andy Staples and Jeff Schwartz. Well, it's Thank true. you. So like, I, I know everyone laughs at it. I know everyone laughs at it, but like, it's true. Uh, it's true. Like, it's just like that's the way guys evaluate you. You're like, oh, that's a big old body right there. That's right. Can't have that flat yeah. butt. Can't have no. the, the noacetol <laughs> disease. No, you got to be got big old legs. And so uh, that's, uh, you know, it's funny. We look at all that stuff, man. Like when I watch film, I look, I notice all this weird, this weird stuff on film. Uh, I thought some we had about to. That, that was so. your livelihood. So, Jeff, oh, thank know. you so yeah. much. <laughs> the great Jeff Schwartz talking about what the NFL scouts call the bubble. Got to have a good bubble. Interesting news. Matt pointed at this out in the chat, and, and it has been breaking out of Georgia Newt's outlets on Tuesday night. Uh, Brock Bowers, he of the high ankle sprain and the tightrope surgery recently, uh, was running at Georgia practice this week. So possibility, maybe him back for the Tennessee game. Certainly seems like he could be back for the SEC championship game. That is a, that, that was probably the, the tail end of, of the range of when he could come back. So I, I'd say, yeah, probably pretty good likelihood. We see Brock Bowers again, this football season, which very fun news for those of us who like watching the best players play. Not fun news for anybody who might have to play Georgia once Brock Bowers comes back. But that's that's how it goes. Tomorrow is a Dear Andy show. We want your questions. Your questions are the star. Find me on X, 
which is what we used to call Twitter, Andy underscore Staples. Instagram, Andy underscore Staples. Email me, andystapleson3 at gmail.com. Turn your phone around, shoot a video of yourself asking your question, and you can be marginally internet famous. Cannot wait. You guys ask the best questions. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.